Awkward Insurance. Today's episode is a special treat. I'm your host, Dustin Bryant, and Paula Price is my guest host today. She is the Client Success Manager for the National Alliance for Insurance Education and Research, and I've been slowly getting to know her over the past years, and she is just a doll and absolutely wonderful. Paula, tell us a little bit about what you do at the National Alliance. Thank you, Dustin. I'm so happy that you invited me to be part of this today. I have been with the National Alliance now for over 18 years. Uh, My current role, I've only been in for about a year now, and I am working with our sales team and our IT department, working as a liaison between the two, trying to make sure that all of our corporate client customers have everything they need to have efficient, successful programs, connecting them with technology solutions, and trying to make everything as smooth as possible for them on that side of the house. You've been here a while and you look so young. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I looked a lot, a lot younger before. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot younger before. What's your favorite thing about the National Alliance, Paula? You know, it, it's like a family. I really, truly believe that uh, some of these relationships that I've developed here with our coworkers over the years will be you know, permanent, even if there, if there ever is a time past the National Alliance for me, I think that there are so many of these relationships that I will keep forever because there's some really amazing people. I love to hear that because it's no use working if we're just working to live and living to work. So I really love that you feel like you have made some lasting connections that are really impactful in both your professional and your personal life. That's amazing. Absolutely. So I just returned from the InsureTech Insights Conference in New York. It was really a lot of fun. I listened to industry professionals on embedded insurance, autonomous vehicles, parametric coverage, which I'm really interested in right now. I talked to professionals about what they hope agents are learning about and learning to utilize for the future of insurance. And while there is a lot of focus on the evolution in the industry and InsureTech and going into the future, we don't have a future without a past. Our guests today are a dynamic duo, and today's conversation is an important one. Dr. Hold is the foundation of the National Alliance, while Bob Rogers is his career-long trusty sidekick and is a current academic director for life and health for the company as well. These two gentlemen have contributed greatly to the insurance industry and catapulted the careers of many within it, including my own. And I would not be here today without the education provided by the National Alliance. And I don't even want to say that that's a shameless plug. It's honestly the truth. So my career and education started with the National Alliance long before I was ever employed by the National Alliance. And even if I weren't, I'd still be saying what I'm saying right now. So when I describe Dr. Hold and Bob to people, if they don't know who Dr. Hold and Bob are, I usually get off of meetings and I'm giggling about whatever antics has occurred in meetings that the two of them are in. And when I tried to describe these two gentlemen, I described the older Muppets that sit in the balcony of of the theater. (laughs) Because these two guys are just comedic relief anytime they get together. And I truly enjoy their company, which is exactly why I wanted to have them on an episode. Welcome to Awkward Insurance, you two. How are you today, Dr. Holt? Fine, fine. Thank you. Bob, how are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Bob's not well. Bob's not well. <laughs> Bob's not well. Why is Bob not well? Well, he hasn't been well for years. He's just been a <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I just prop him up. When he's propped up, he does a good job. <laughs> one thing, Dustin, I, I just tapped. I know you didn't do it on purpose. 
but Bob and I have feelings, you know, and when you start off with let's talk about the past, I mean, we still believe we're part of the future. Absolutely. Well, that was the whole part of it is that we don't have a future without the past and the past goes with us through the future. And you guys are a huge part of that and you continue to be even today. So I apologize if I offended in any kind uh, of way. No, we're beyond being offended at this point. But you know, it's the end. <laughs> oh, no. Right. All right. The episode's over. <laughs> oh, this will never be. I will, we'll remember this for 20 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I'll be sure. It's like driving a car. You need you need the windshield and the rear view mirror, right? You do. You to know, you know where you've been and what you've learned and certainly what's ahead. So, the, so are you the windshield or the rear view mirror? Well, I've been both. I've been both. Okay. Both at once, and sometimes that led me some bad decisions. But you have to look forward, but you can't forget where you came from, and you can't forget what your culture is. And you know that old Texas saying: you know, you got to dance with the one who brung you, right? So you do exactly. things that bring you to success. You don't just throw away. You have to modify them and adapt and bring new things on. But uh, it's it's important, you know. And and you talk about being well. And Bob and I have been around quite a number of years. But the most important thing is, or two most important things, number one, the insurance business is always changing. The problems of 15, 20 years ago are totally irrelevant today. You know, we're all focused on new things, but that's how you learn. I don't think they're irrelevant today well, because, you know, I think the old, you know, the old phrase, those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it in order to, to keep moving forward and have all of the successes that we're having in the insurance industry if we don't remember what was the past, we're doomed to repeat it. But also if we forget what was the past, then when certain struggles happen, you, know, you can go back to paper apps if your your internet goes down and keep moving forward. And if you don't know how to do that, then you know you might be down for a couple of days while your internet's coming back up. So in order to keep moving forward, we have to bring all of what we have in for younger agents that are entering the industry. I know we spend a lot of time focused on trying to get young agents into the industry and, and creating a bigger talent pool right now. But we don't know all of the cool stories that that you guys have. We don't know everything about the past. When I hear about certain historical things and where insurance came from, it just, it's mind boggling to me because I don't have that knowledge. And it's it's essential that we learn from all generations that are in this industry. Well, first of all, I'd like to clarify that Dr. Hold nor myself were sitting in the tea rooms in London when they started gambling on the sale. You're not map. that old. Oh, no, no. <laughs> we, we came. We came, yeah, we came along quite a bit later after that. But the thing about it is, with the industry, with insurance, it's all about risk. And there was risk back in the day when they were insuring sailing vessels with regard to all kinds of things. And there is risk today. You know, I was with uh, MetLife for a long time, and we were we ended up venturing off into the reinsurance market, and we were reinsuring satellites being launched, and they'd recover satellites that were coming back, and how the reinsurance we were they were paid claims, uh, uh, reimbursed for claims when they recovered satellites. So would that be satellites like the Sputnik? Like no, no. Well, yeah, <laughs> I don't think there was insurance on the Sputnik. But the communication satellites that they were putting up and they lose things that happen, it's still about risk. So it, it is what it is. And I think risk is always going to be there. I think the way we market our product, the way we deal with data, the way we 
we deal with our customers, people buying, uh, their buying habits and all that uh, will, will change over time, but uh, it tends to ebb and flow. And then there's the uh, how the industry really works. And that's the thing, you know, when Dr. Hold, I remind him on occasion, when Dr. Thrasher really surprised him several years ago, first time I've ever really seen Dr. Hold surprised was when uh, Dr. Thrasher, who was the president of Florida State, uh, announced at a dinner that uh, Dr. Hold was uh, getting an honorary doctorate degree from his, uh, his university where he did his undergraduate studies at Florida State. And where the program, uh, the risk management program is named after Dr. Hold and the National Alliance. And I had the privilege of giving the invocation. And one of the things that I thank the Almighty for was that band of 11 agents who searched out Dr. Hold at the University of Texas at Austin, the insurance doctor, to help develop practical education in this industry. And that's the thing that really changed the paradigm. Because as Dr. Hold used to tell us when we were teaching, you're going to give these people information today that they're going to be able to take and put in practice Monday morning. And that was critical. And, and that's, that was really the foundation and the mission, if you will, of the National Alliance going forward. And again, that delivery and what we do and how we uh, deal with our clients, our companies, all these things, that's, that's important to understand as we go forward. And it's, it's this practical education. It's understanding the new risks that are, uh, that are in place today. But nothing's changed. It's still about risk. Right. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And that was everything that I enjoyed out of my education with the National Alliance is how practical it was and how I could put it to use on my desk the day of, not even necessarily the next day, and go back and like I've I've always joked that every time I took one of the agency management or agency operations courses, I always went back and was like, We're doing this all wrong. We've got to change everything. <laughs> it was just like, no, we we can't keep notifying cancellations. We've got to change that, you know. So it was I would always go back and be able to put something to use that day or understand something different that day. And that's what I loved, even about going to this conference that I just went to in New York, is that I'm learning about all these different types of things that are new and emerging and coming to life that I can then come back as I am tailoring our personal insurance products that, that I am responsible for and start injecting some of that in there to make it relevant because this stuff is eventually going to be on the desks of agents if it's not already. So we can start injecting some of that and make it relevant whether it's micro relevance because we're inserting little pieces at a time or we just make overhauling changes to whatever we're saying. So I absolutely agree. It's all about the risk. And then our education in particular, it just needs to stay relevant to what agents are doing today. But let's get off of that for a minute. I really want, this is all about just understanding you guys and what makes you so important to the industry and even to our organization. Let's start with how the two of you met. You're on, doctor. Well, and be nice. I was at an agency management institute in Austin, and uh, Bob's wife was there, Kathleen, and she was a model student, very professional, sitting in the front row, listening intently. And in those days, we had discussion groups where the group would break up into smaller groups and discuss topics that you know everybody had a different opinion on and ideas about how to improve their offices and procedures. 
So I'm outside doing some work with somebody and I see this individual walk by going out of the building. He looked like a sort of a semi cowboy, but he was sort of stuffed into these clothing, you know, and I said, well, is there a problem? He said, I'm leaving. I said, well, is there something wrong? Well, why would I, why would I want to sit in this group and give people my great ideas? They're my competition. Why would I share my ideas with anybody? I'm gone. So I said to myself, what a jerk. You know, what, what a schmo this guy is, you know. And I didn't see Bob for years until one day one of our uh, academic directors called me. He said, you're not going to believe this. I found the greatest life insurance speaker you've ever heard in your life. This guy is terrific. This guy's really good. I said, well, who is he? He says, Bob Rogers. I said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> this guy's real full of himself. And the whole world had changed, you know, for Bob. And the whole thing changed. And we became friends. We laughed about that. And, of course, you know, I know Bob very well and his family, et cetera. But I'll tell you what, Bob. Bob is is a is a very extremely well-known person because he really cares about the business and he really cares about people, enormously generous individual. And I'm not going to embarrass him by going through all the things that he does, but he relates to people. And the reason he is really famous, and he used some, and you know, Bob is a minister, ordained minister. And during his life insurance lectures, when it got to retirement, he used to take a can of Alpo dog food and put it on the podium. Then he went through this presentation about zip codes and earning of people living, older people living in these zip codes. And these zip codes, at least he said, there was a significant increase in dog food sales, which he then transferred to, if you don't have a good retirement income, you're going to be eating Alpo for the rest of your life. Isn't oh, that no. so, you know, you think about that, that, whoa, this this will never go anywhere. To this day, people talk to me and I see them and they say, I can't remember the guy's name, but he taught life insurance and he had that can of Alpo. How many cans of Alpo have you eaten, Bob? And I, have eaten, I have eaten none. <laughs> but, well, people in our office, they put cans of Alpo on their desk, worried about their retirement. <laughs> people all over the country were putting it as a reminder to, to individuals, talking to clients. As a real dramatic example of what happens when you don't plan well and you, you run out of money. So he is really famous. He's really known more by more people as the Alpo man than he is by Bob Rogers. <laughs> I'll tell you an interesting thing, and I told Dr. Hole this. This was probably several years after I had been doing this. And I was in some I was at an airport or someplace and I saw these business periodicals on the at a, at a newsstand. And there was a Barron's newspaper. And on the front of it, there was a guy sitting in a smoking jacket in a high back leather chair with a silver spoon with a can of Alpo. And he was, e he was eating the Alpo. And that was on the picture. And the whole thing was, if you don't plan your retirement, you could spend all your money and be destined to eating Alpo at the end of the deal. And I called Dr. Holden. I said, they're stealing our stuff. He said, well, as long as it's on the front page of Burns, it's fine with me. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, I carried that dog food can all over everywhere. I even have one here at my house and people will come and go, what's the deal with the dog food can? So I got to tell the story. You know, that's it's like that gets, goes on to a lot of things. You've got to give people a reason to remember something that sort of stands out 
It doesn't have to be, it can be many, many things, but if you don't say anything that really gets people's attention, they just forget it. Or they're wandering off, you know, thinking about something else or these days staring at their phone. But getting people's attention, and that's our, that's a big job in the National Alliance. That's a big job. That's a big job in anything is just trying to get something to stick. I mean, I think as sales agents too, in order to get your customer to buy into it, sometimes you got to have something that's shock and awe in order for yeah. them to understand the importance of what it is you're trying to get them to buy. And we should never forget that our name is our brand. And when people say Dustin Bryan or Bob Rogers, they shouldn't have to ask about you. They ought to know you. And that's a very important goal in life that your, your name is your brand and your life is your message. So you guys have known each other for how long now? 40 something years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I ended up teaching again after the, you talk about shock and awe, the shock and awe Dr. Hole went through when he found out I was teaching. I blame the, the first, our first meeting on impetuous youth, doctor. I, 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 oh, don't, I, I have to blame that on something. But uh, since 1986 is when I started teaching. And it was, uh, it's very interesting. Dr. Holt, I'd, I'd, I'd ask you, you know, you had practitioners teaching that basically, as you said, teaching their competitors and giving away their secrets. How did you do that? How did you get practitioners engaged? You had a, a very strong group of people and have always had a strong group of people for over 50 years teaching this, these classes. And it's been, again, practitioners. Some We've had university professors, certainly, and, and that. But again, I, I relate that they are practitioners also teaching the, the material and staying current. But that was always an interesting concept. It was greater than just textbooks. You know, people, they're, they're really interested in the business. They felt they had a lot to contribute. They were not against helping people. And they felt in the words of a, a person that taught for us a long time, who really was a little bit of a genius, he said, I said, gee, this is really good and really important. He says, he says, you know, Dr. Old, only 2% of the people will ever do this. They may like it today, they'll take it back, but they won't implement it. So we learn and we, as you said, we've taken bite-sized pieces. And the other thing is, you know, competitors really don't, don't take business away from you. You lose business. That's right. Most of the time that you lose a piece of business in any business, you have sort of messed it up and somebody else came along and picked it up. Exactly. There's enough business around in this world for everybody. And if you lost it, it's not because of your competitor. That's exactly right. Dr. Hold, Bob always has his, you know, his Alpo. We always go back to Bob as the Alpo man. But what was your thing? Did you have a thing? Well, people got to know me because of the suits I wore. I wore a lot of suits with a vest and they all remember the vest. And then I had a a little chain on the vest that had the CIC logo on it, you know, the uh, the pin. Mm -hmm. And people always remembered that. And they would see me at other places. And a lot of people think that you're not really real, you know, because they just see you in that context of standing in front of the class and teaching. My daughter would, was a, a CPA. Anyway, she worked in an insurance operation and people had their CIC diplomas hung up on the wall. And one after she worked there a year, she said, you know, that's my dad. And people said, no, you, no, he isn't. No, he isn't. But she says, no, it is my dad. Said, no, it isn't. Well, why isn't it? He doesn't exist. That is just a figment. You know, it's a picture and a signature. He doesn't really, doesn't really exist. So it's amazing the images that people have. And they like to see you. How It's just like when you met one of your teachers in the grocery store. 
right? And you say, gee, they buy food too, you know, when they eat. And There are some other really fun stories that I've heard before. And, and one of them that I don't think a lot of people are, have heard is the Waffle House effect. Would you gentlemen care to explore the Waffle House effect with us? That's, well, we'll let Bob lead on that one. Go ahead, Bob. When there are uh, catastrophic losses, when a hurricane hits the coast, when uh, massive tornadoes will go through a community, legend has it that there is a Waffle House theory to uh, the severity of the disaster. And what it has to do with is whether or not the Waffle House in the community is open or closed. If it's closed, the disaster was catastrophic. If it is open, it wasn't so bad. If it's open for a few days, it lies somewhere in between. And so Dr. Hold and I happened to be at a uh, function that was, this is back in, in uh, 2018, and this was at the uh, Arkansas, you're in Arkansas, Dustin. This was yes. the uh, Arkansas Insurance Hall of Fame. And our, our dear friend, Dr. John Bratton, was uh, inducted into the Arkansas Insurance Hall of Fame. There were all manner of people. There were the insurance commissioners were there. The faculty was there from, from University of Central Arkansas. There was a big group of people there. And so Dr. Hold and William and I went to that, to, to that event. And the next morning, being sensitive to the Waffle House theory for loss, we found the Waffle House and we went and had breakfast and had our picture taken at the Waffle House showing that we, we too were very sensitive to the Waffle House theory uh, with regard to catastrophic loss. And nice. that's the Waffle House story. But you, you'll mention that to property insurers and they'll sit here and go, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's the, it's it's how whether or not the Waffle House opens up after the storm comes through is a huge indicator of the severity of the loss. But that's what it was. And we did that in Conway, Arkansas, doctor, if you'll recall. Yes, we did. Yeah. I thought I thought that y'all had eaten there just for, for my on my behalf because no, no, I'm always teasing them about their fancy dinners. And they swore to me that they go to regular old places like Burger King. Um, so they ate at the Waffle House and sent me a picture, and I just laughed so hard. I thought, oh, my God. See, Bob is always trying to make me a people person. <laughs> He's always trying to, you know, you got to be the people. I am a people person. You got to be a man a of the people, people Dr. Man of the people. Well, I'm trying, but sometimes it doesn't go over too well. Bob's there to remind me. Be nice. I whisper in his ear, you he know, that, uh, doctor, we're, we're about the people. We're about the people. I stand behind him. <laughs> Keep uh, moving. Yeah. We're about the people. That's right. <laughs> so you two have contributed so much to the insurance industry. And I've just returned from the InsurTech Insights Conference. Talked to so many about big data, buying habits, digital body language even, to accelerate risk reviews. What do you see for the future of independent agents in the face of rapid adoption in InsurTech? I really want to know from you guys how you're feeling about all the adoption of InsurTech. Let me just comment just what you said. Okay. Accelerate risk reviews. Accelerate risk reviews. That was a huge buzzword. It was a lot. Well, but what does that really mean? It just get it means getting information faster. Getting information faster and assessing the risk as fast as possible. That's right. But we're look we look at this stuff like it's it's brand new. It's not new. And we change words all the time. It's the same thing. 
We don't have a notebook. We have a we have a study guide. It's a notebook, right? Accelerating risk reviews is getting more accurate information faster. Accuracy is a big part of it. I'm not poo-pooing it, but it's a lot of it is just sort of common sense, trying to apply better methods and making the process of underwriting you know, more effective, but we're not changing the underwriting. Fair. You can get information at the speed of light. The person is still a lousy driver or the building is, or the business is losing money or the, the poor person that Bob is trying to sell life insurance to in the kitchen table is on his death's door, but he needs it now. So right. he tries to you know, with it on him. But Bob said it right. Nobody, everybody likes a life insurance agent when the claim is paid. Of course. You know, they love us. They love the men. And, and, you, and you know what, doctor? Unlike our property casualty friends, I have never had anyone complain when I brought them a check. No, that's right. Ever, ever. Uh, and I've never had, the only, the only complaint has been, I wish we would have had more. More, yes. Now, I'm not on the life and health side, but I've never had a client complain when they've gotten their check paid. But in terms of the accelerated risk, you're right. It's a change of language. And I guess in the history of insurance, information came at a much slower rate. It was out there. You just, you had to get to know your client. You had to assess the risk on your own. You had to gather the data and the information. And now all of that stuff is contained in the World Wide Web, if you will, the, the big data, if you will. So that information comes at an accelerated pace, meaning that the insurance agent, the independent insurance agent is having to do things at a much quicker pace in order to stay relevant and compete with the insure tech that's doing it faster than they are. So I think that's more along the line of my question is, how do you see the independent agents in the face of all the rapid adoption? They've got to be able to change with all of that as well and adopt the information as quickly as, as the tech is. But what some are doing now, Dustin, is they're helping the agent do that. Right. The agent is still producing the business, if you will. It's their client. They're just saying to the agent, you don't have to go to 15 different sources to find out. You don't have to depend on their motor vehicle records. You don't have to depend on if the client is sort of cooking their own books because we'll get to look at their books. So that's all you have to do now. That's all is you've got to get the client, determine whether it's a good risk or not. But all of this doesn't really determine the nature of the loss. You know, that that's a point that I keep on harping with people. This is all good. It's all important. But does it make the risk a better risk? You can say it gives us more information to determine what kind of risk it is, but it doesn't really change it. And that's why, at least in my opinion, that a lot of these insure tech companies right now don't make much money. They're financial, they're not truly financially successful yet. They may be. And what happens when everybody, when other people adopt these methods? Okay, so we, we, we speed up the, the, the application process. Okay, then what are you gonna do next? Mm -hmm. Well, other people are gonna speed up the application process too. We live in a country where we, we race from one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah. Right. And now this is a huge deal. Dot com was a huge deal. It all sort of works itself out. There's a lot of pain, unfortunately, in the beginning. But there's a lot of things that people can do now because it's because of the Internet and the information in many cases better. Yeah. But when we get back to what we said earlier, what are you going to do? with 
Right. That was one thing that I noticed at the conference is it was a lot of the adoption of insure tech is really high. Everybody is really on board, you know, with with finding some type of insure tech to make their lives easier. It's the utilization that's really low. Once they get that insure tech, not everybody knows what to do with that information and how to utilize it in the right way. So that's kind of one of the drawbacks of insure tech right now is, is the utilization is low, even though the adoption is high. It's coming too fast, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. The information that they have access to is coming at them too fast, and they don't yet know what to do with all of it. Well, Insolvent will be pitched out in a couple of years. It won't be it won't be relevant anymore. I think that's the nature of the game, though. It's a trial and error game. You have to you know try all kinds of new and different things, and you may succeed and you may not, and hopefully it's all for the better. Well, it takes a lot of money. There's huge investments being made in these companies hundreds of millions of dollars on the line. We'll see what happens. Most of it is finding a, be- a faster way to get to the product. All these, these uh, you know, comparisons programs where you go in, they'll compare, you know, 50 automobile companies for you. You know, that all depends, of course, on getting accurate information about your record. And most of this, most of this is done where you have a very high volume of risks and it's a sort of almost a commodity. This is where this you know works works the best. Your comment about uh, it's a commodity. Uh, next month, I'm doing a webinar uh, for the National Alliance, and and I'm talking about the consultative sale versus the commodity purchase. Which way do we go? And my opinion is because again, I've experienced it over the years. I've seen it. I've seen a lot of situations. It doesn't matter how people buy insurance until a claim occurs. I still believe that there is a need. There's some people that look at, you know, at buying insurance as it's an expense. It's how can I save money? Uh, How does all that happen? You give me a client who has had a claim, who's had a major loss, who has, you know, lost a loved one early in life, who, who have had seen things happen all of a sudden they look at the purchase of insurance very differently than a commodity purchase. I mean, it's like, you know, I know people who have a pain in their side and they go on, they go to WebMD and try to figure it out. I don't think that, you know, if it doesn't go away in a month, I'd probably want to go to a doctor. I'd want to go sit with someone and talk about what is going on. I can do my taxes online, but very few people that have ever been through an audit of with the IRS are going to do their taxes online. They're going to go to a CPA and go through the process of, of, of again, a consultative situation. The biggest thing is most people don't have claims. They can be dealing with uh, people or, or, or buying online or doing things and, and making the wrong decisions, and they never know it because nothing happens. And so everybody keeps moving through. And so that's the that's the big issue. And then if you look at the role of the independent agent, you know, Dr. Hold, you made the comment earlier about, you know, that that the competition, what's it about? One of the things we teach in dynamics of selling, we talk about the four cards and we talk about a relationship card and a service card. And we say that those are the two cards for the incumbent agent to lose poor service and lack of relationships with your clients. So again, all that maintains your position as a consultant working through what's going on, what's changed, what hasn't, what's happened. 
I, I, I was telling somebody the other day, they were talking about it and they said, well, all I have is uh, uh, renter's insurance and I don't really need to go sit down with an agent for renter's insurance. And I said, have you inherited any of your grandmother's jewelry? Is there anything going on that, that maybe you need to talk to somebody about that if you view it as a commodity purchase and what's cheapest, won't cover those important things. So it's just, again, there's a group of people that will always view what we do as a commodity. They're going to jump ship over $20 or $100 or whatever it is. This is kind of a brutal thing to say, but I've always thought there are some clients that I don't want, that I probably want to send down the street. Absolutely. You know, I think that ties all back into InsurTech to be on in any kind of tech, but that tech always ends up needing some kind of human component to it. It always ends up needing some time, some kind of consultative component to it. My brother is having a problem right now with a home warranty that he bought, and now we're having some issues. Well, of course, he bought it all on his own through tech, probably. But now that there's an issue, he needs a person. He needs a, a person to tell him where to go next, what to do next, how to get his claim, where everybody's going to need a person at the end of that tech in some way. So that's a, that's a great point. And everything that you just said is it all comes back to we're a consultative role and we're an advisorship role. And eventually, even if, they're, if, even if the role starts with tech, they're going to need us. They're going to need the guidance. They're going to need the information. And we're going to need to be experts in this field in order to guide our clients through the process. That's it. I mean, that's that's what and, and, and that's what the mission of the National Alliance has been for over 50 years to give our participants ammunition, if you will, to make them the best in their field, to keep them on top of what's going on. You're buying the knowledge of the of your insurance representative. You're buying the knowledge of your of your of the CSRs that work in their office. You're buying the knowledge of the agent. It's the same thing you're buying when you go to the doctor. Same thing you're buying when you go to an attorney or to, a, to your accountant. You're buying their knowledge. Where do they get that knowledge? Where do they stay current? And that's what we do in the National Alliance is we, we work very diligently to keep our participants to be able to be their, the, the, the front line for their, for their clients. That's the deal. We forget sometimes that agencies and the, and the people who work within them hold their clients' lives in their hand 24 hours a day. You're exactly right. Think of a doctor a few times in your life is crucial you know, to you. The lawyer comes into your life a few times, but every single day, the proper protection for a business or an individual, that's that person's life. And once that breaks down, their life has changed forever. They can't rebuild their building, or they can't get the proper cancer treatment or other illnesses. And that's it. But every single day, and that's a heck of a responsibility. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about current, you know, current in innovations and things that are, you know, new and coming into the future. But I think one of the things that everyone, I know myself, I have always benefited from talking to the two of you is you both have long, very successful careers. And so I would really love for you to tell the audience two things. Where do I send your check, Paula? <laughs> you, you pay me already. You pay me already. Oh, okay. Go Sorry. ahead. <laughs> There's two things. One, what would you wish that you had maybe done differently? If there was some point in your path, you wish you had done something differently. But then two, what secret 
thing, what ingredient has made you as successful as you are? Both of you, I know, have both of those things. So one thing you would have done differently, one thing that you think is the secret to your success. Well, I've been accused that probably I could lighten up on the, I've been a fanatic on, on quality and getting things right and accuracy. And you've seen that in our business and you've all been victims of that. Maybe I could have lightened up on that a little bit, but, you know, excellence is many, many small things done well. Not the huge things, it's the little things. So probably, you know, could have been a little more patient maybe. And I guess, you know, you pay the price for everything and the constant travel and being away probably was not, uh, that doesn't make you the best parent in the world. And I'm, I think that probably William is a better parent than I was. I was gone all the time and I was really focused on trying to, what we wanted to do with the National Alliance, how it started, you know, very small and we struggled a lot of times with it. So that's one thing. And the, the secret of success, there's no really no secret. You just got to be determined. You have to be prepared and uh, you have to have good people around you. You know, the, the gentleman told me years ago, and if you want to build a business, he said, you have to build prestige for your fellow workers. So on my business card is Laura Houston's name. Before that, it was Janet Carter's name. And let's never forget that every client thinks they're important. And what do they want to do? They want to deal with somebody important, don't they? But once you establish that, more people will call you than they'll call me because you have the answers. And with those answers, that information, you become more confident. You know, everybody needs somebody, people around to help them. No person is an island. No person does it by themselves. You know? I agree with that. I think that's one thing that I have truly found in the insurance industry. And one thing um, that I've not struggled to have to look for is there is an abundance of people that just, they want to help each other be successful. And I know the podcast started with Bob Rogers leaving the classroom saying, these are my competitors. I don't want to, you know, share my knowledge or whatever it was that he said in that little joke. But he came around. I mean, he's here now. He's sharing his knowledge with everybody. And that's really what makes this industry a success is when we is when we all start sharing our knowledge together and build the successes of others. And I, I wouldn't be as successful as I was today without others. Bob, what's your answer? Well, I, I started out in the business as a college trainee for MetLife in 1967. And I said I was going to get into the business. I'd try it for a quarter. And that was what my draw was. For a quarter as in three months or 25 cents? 13 weeks. Yeah, 13 weeks a quarter of the year. And... As I tell people, I've been uh, doing it for 13 weeks uh, for over 50 years. But what happened was I just tried to make, you know, hit my numbers, do what was ever going. And but I didn't really become a student of the business until later in my career. And if I had one thing that I would have done early on was was I would have tried to understand uh, that it's important to be a student of what your profession is and to really learn it and to really drill down into it. You know, I always I always say that uh, you learn more about the Bible teaching Sunday school than you ever do attending it. So when I got involved uh, teaching uh, for the National Alliance, 
Dr. Hull tells me all the time he's made me everything I am. The reality of that is, is that the situations that he put me in forced me to really do my homework and to really drill down. I got involved with the National Alliance because I was a uh, brokerage director for MetLife for Texas and Louisiana, and I did a lot of business life insurance and a lot of estate planning through brokers and agents. And I had some people that knew me and said, would you come and, and teach business life insurance for the National Alliance? Well, I did it. You know, what, it was how I made my living. And what working with the National Alliance did was really forced me to stay current. It forced me to stay on top of what was going on in the industry. Uh, they give me a bad time around the National Alliance. I'm still one of the old guys that reads paper magazines. I read industry periodicals. I stack them up. When we traveled so much, I used to sit here and have briefcase was full of industry periodicals, and I'd read stuff on airplanes. I'd sit there and take the time because I knew when I got in front of a class, I had better know what I was talking about, and I had better stay current because people were going to ask you questions. So what would I have changed? I would have changed that early on. You know, the business, staying involved with the business, being able to know that you're, uh, you're having a, a positive impact on people. I've had things happen to me. I'll never forget, I had a gentleman walk up to me. I was in uh, teaching in Minnesota. And he walked up to me and he said, I've got through teaching life and health. And, and it was at the end of the day. And he came up to me and he said, uh, I just want to tell you, I was in one of your classes four years ago. And he said, because of what you said, you gave me the ability to save our family farm. And I had been talking about second to die life insurance and estate planning and getting to an attorney, getting things put in place to create the dollars to pay the estate taxes. This was years ago. And it worked. And he, he and I were both standing there in tears. And then he looked at me and he said, I just have to confess something to you. I said, what's that? He said, I didn't buy Second to Die from that life. I bought it from New York Life. And I looked at him and I said, it just mattered if the check cleared. I said, that's, that was the that's issue. That's all that ever matters. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, and I've had people come up to me about, as Dr. Holt talks about my Alpha can, and people come up and say, you know, we started saving money 15 years ago because of what you were carrying around with that Alpha can. And now we've got money sitting here. And I would, you know, God bless you. That's terrific, but that's what we do. And then how we have impact on people who then in turn, then they have an impact on people and it goes from there. And it's, this industry has meant a lot to me It's it, and, and my family, and uh, it has given us the ability to do a lot of things, but it's also given us the ability to help a lot of people. Back to what Dr. Hull was saying earlier, I heard at a million dollar round table, which was, is a, organization for life insurance producers. I heard many years ago, one of the, the, the platform speakers at MDRT, he sat there and he said at the end of his speech, he said, you just remember that you stand between your clients and total financial destruction. That's it. You let a tornado go through a, a community. Bobby Shomo, who teaches for us now, uh, has some unbelievable stories when a tornado came and literally wiped out his community that he lived in. And he stood between his clients 
and total financial destruction. And that's puts it on the level of, now this, you know, I'll think I'm nuts, but it puts it on the level of almost a calling. When you get to that point in your career and you discover that you can do far more for your clients than they can ever do for you, all of a sudden your success rates, you, you, you start succeeding in, in areas that, that you had no idea. And the last thing I want to say is everybody I've ever heard who's been successful talks about luck. There was a little luck involved or a lot of luck involved. You know, Dr. Holt, I don't know how to tell you this, but you were a lucky man that Mr. Rubel and his band of merry agents searched you out, friend. And you know that. And, and luck is part of it. Daryl Royal, the great University of Texas coach, used to say that luck is what happens when opportunity meets preparation. So you got to be prepared and then you see it and then you go. And that's it for me. That's great. And at one point you said, we're going to think that you're, you're crazy for saying some of these things. I thought you were crazy long before today. <laughs> <laughs> He's a little nuts. You know, that the thing we need to also think about is that the most important people are clients or the people that come to the program. We need to do everything we can to make their time valuable. Well, the, the two most important things a person has is their time and their money. And we have to make it worth their while because because our competition is not other education programs. Our competition is for the time and money of the agent of the service people that are coming to our program. And our, our true north is what is going to benefit the participant. That's our, our value compass. And I was going to say to to jump off of what you were saying a moment ago, and, and you kind of just looped it back around um, yourself was you know, one of the biggest things I think I've learned from you over all these years now is, yes, the the customer. We're always trying to make it right for the customer and do the best thing we can for them. But you have also never let us compromise the National Alliance's values in that process. You know, we, we do everything that we can, but there are certain fundamental things that we, we just don't break the rules on because it's got to be fair to everyone. That's right. I mean, that's very important because people will ask you for everything. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for your time spent on the podcast today. I know every time I have the pleasure of being in a meeting with you two, I always learn something. Um, but I've definitely learned a lot more about the National Alliance myself and you guys in particular. So I really do thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Paula, thank you so much for being here to help as well. Your perspective is always appreciated. As we close out, is there anything else that you would like to say, Paula? Oh my gosh, no, I thank you so much for letting me join in. I, you know, there's there's so many good stories that can come out of these two that you could almost have a a multi-part series if you could if you could get them to <laughs> really kind of uh open up some of those Pandora's down. box of their yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Toodles. Bye. All right. Well. Bye-bye. Thanks for hanging around and listening to another awkward conversation in insurance. Stay tuned for new episodes from Awkward Insurance wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to check out the National Alliance on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or at scic.com. Now go forth and be awkward. Toodles!